Hello. Yep, I'm back. What's up, fuckers? <laughs> long time no see, long time no listen. It's your lovely mental host, Finlay Hewlett, back for another long-awaited episode of She's Mental. Oh, I have not slowed down in the last two months since I've last spoken to you all, and all I can say is, thank fuck, uni is over. Don't get me wrong, I do love my degree very, very much. I love learning, I love the people, I love the mental stimulation, I love trying new things. However, when you have about three or four assessments to turn in in the span of 48 hours, that does tend to wear thin on some people, myself included. (laughs) So yes, so had to take a break for my own sanity and my own health, but I'm very, very thankful to be back and I've got a lot to talk about given my recent experiences. Just to catch you up on some things that have happened whilst I've been gone, I've got another job. So now I'm working two jobs, studying full-time, except for currently, now that I'm on my semester break. And I recently made a very interesting trip to Melbourne. Now, this trip is going to be somewhat of the subject of this episode, but at its very root and at its very core, today we're going to be talking about grief. And to be frank, I've been doing a lot of grieving in the last couple of months that I've been gone. This holiday, whilst it was a break, it was a holiday, there was also an element to it that I will get into that made me think a lot about my life so far and a lot about my direction and my future and made me come to grips with a lot of things that I have been running from from a very like for a very long time and as hard as it was it gave me a new perspective on my relationships with other people with myself with my own growth Now, if you've listened to the first episode of She's Mental, you will have the context that my father is not in my life. He never has been. He left when I was quite young and I have been estranged from him my whole life. And as a result, I have grown up only really knowing my mother's side of the family. And I really struggled growing up to come to grips with my identity. And if I'm missing half of who I am, does my father make up half of who I am? Does my identity have to be defined by these familial ties? Who am I if not an amalgamation of the genetics and the formative experiences I've had and the people who've raised me have had? And so growing up, my father did not stay in touch and I was left with a lot of questions about why why do I have no contact with my dad's side of the family why have they not reached out why why have I been forgotten and I did feel very forgotten I have two aunties and an uncle and I had not heard from any of them 
My grandparents, my grandfather on that side, had passed before I was born. And my grandmother, I had very brief contact with up until I was 10 when unfortunately she passed away. And so my adolescence was marred by a lot of wondering and a lot of things that were really shoved down amidst everything else that I was going through. They were neatly packed away and tidied away so that I could focus on getting through the day, getting through the week, getting through the month, the year. And now that I'm in a much healthier headspace and I've addressed a lot of things that have interfered with my day-to-day survival, now I can finally say very, very thankfully that I'm not surviving, I'm thriving. But what comes with that is facing all these things that we formerly shoved away. And so when I left school in 2019, when I dropped out and had a lot of spare time, a lot of these wonderings came to mind and I thought, why don't I try and look into my ancestry? Maybe this will help fill some of the gaps for me in who I am, why I am the way I am, why I'm so different from my mum's side of the family in regards to interests, personality, that kind of thing. And so I did a lot of digging over months. I scoured the internet, scoured Ancestry.com, scoured everything. I could tore through old letters, old photos, questioned my mum and my grandparents, poor things, for as much as they knew. They themselves didn't know a lot, as it wasn't their story to tell. So I felt really at a loss until one day I came across an account on Ancestry.com that had been active over a year beforehand, it hadn't been touched, with a family tree that was identical to my own. And it bore the name of one of my aunties, my dad's sister. And I thought, fuck, there's got to be a way for me to contact them. And so, not thinking much of it, I managed to find a way to email this account. And I thought, well, if they don't see it, they don't see it. I've given it a shot. I'm not left wondering so on so forth. I cannot convey the surprise and the shock and the mix of emotions that I felt when the following morning I woke up to a massive email, an essay if you will, combined with photos of a whole plethora of family that I did not even know that I had talking to me, reaching out to me, asking me questions, offering me contact and answers that I'd gone 18, 19 years without. And so over the last couple of years, I slowly built a relationship with this auntie of mine. First, it was through email And then one day, I got the courage to ask for my auntie's phone number. And so we began talking and I can't explain to you how amazing it is when your whole life you felt like you stick out like a sore thumb from people around you and then you pick up the phone and you hear someone talk who sounds like you, but 30, 40 years older. 
my auntie is so similar to me in so many ways and has made me feel seen and heard and valued in a way that I, I can't be grateful for enough. But as you can imagine, with this amazing discovery also came a lot of a lot of hurt and a lot of what I understand now is grief and a lot of confusion and a lot of anger and resentment over if my dad's family knew about me, why didn't they do anything? Why was I forgotten? Why was I left behind? If I had known where everyone lived and where they were and what they were doing and I wasn't robbed of this opportunity to have such a beautiful relationship with this auntie of mine, who would I be? What would I be like? What would my path be like? And I'm proud of the person I've become, but at the same time, I had a lot of questions running through my head. And so after continuing to bond and continuing to talk over the months, I eventually planned a trip to go over to Melbourne where I discovered my family were living and to finally meet them and put faces to the names that I had heard about in fleeting conversations for all my childhood. And the point of this story is that grief needs to be talked about more. It's, it's so often reduced to grief just covering death and breakups. And whilst, whilst the grief surrounding those events is so valid and so felt and so true, no one can invalidate that experience, grief also needs to be understood as encompassing friendships, losing friendships. You can grieve for people you've lost who you can walk down the street and pass them and they were a friend to you once and now they're a stranger. You can grieve for what you never had, grieve for who you were, grieve for what you deserved and you didn't get, grieve for the way things were, you can grieve jobs, you can grieve periods of your life, you can grieve because you have an awareness of a situation or a person now that changed things and your perception of them. And that's something that I definitely felt on my trip to Melbourne. And so I'm going to read you a journal entry that I wrote the night before I was about to meet my auntie and her own family when I was staying in an Airbnb in Melbourne. That night before I could not sleep. It was probably 4am that morning and I was up writing my journal because I had no other way of just settling and having it all out somewhere it was just a churning mess in my head and they were to pick me up at 9am that morning and drive me out to their their family home in Shepparton which is about two hours north of Melbourne now aside grief aside that's kind of fucking terrifying when you think about it okay I don't know these people from a bar of salt bar of salt bar of soap Wow, guys, I'm really rusty. Can't even get my euphemisms and phrases right. I digress. But 
I didn't know them from a bar of soap, aside from what I'd heard over the phone and emails. They could be axe murderers for all I know. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm going to fly to a different state and then get carted out regionally, you know, over the Easter weekend and just, you know, see how it goes. Could be a fun time. Might wind up dead. Might be carried back to Perth in a box. Stay tuned. (laughs) So that was scary in itself, but also there was a certain fear within me that if this goes right, if this goes well, which they're lovely people and I knew deep in my heart that it would go well, but I was also worried for what am I going to have to deal with and what am I going to have to process and feel and grieve for if this does go well for me and if I do really connect with this family of mine. And I spoke to my therapist about it before I left let's call her V. And V said that I can discuss that with my family. And inevitably I did. And so I'll read you the journal entry first and then I'll tell you what happens from there. (laughs) Okay. I have my extra radio voice on right now. See, all my journalism training prepared me to read this incredibly personal diary entry to you guys. I would like to thank my lecturers. I would like to thank my mother. I'm (laughs) Okay. I sometimes wonder who I'd be without loss. Without intergenerational trauma, parentification, estrangement, emotional abuse, medical neglect, neurodivergence, teed up in lines of my own maladaption. Without growing up a lower class, queer, disabled, neurodivergent, regional kid in a single parent family, riddled by unprocessed grief, rage, hurt and absence. I don't think I'd be as aware of my privilege and as conscientious as I aim to be without all of those things. But there are people who grow up in similar circumstances and they take different roads that are equally as travelled. So maybe my trauma hasn't made me this way and to make it make sense, to give it less power, I try to find meaning in it. Because whether I like it or not, these experiences have been formative. Shit, but formative. So now I'm trying to reconcile my grief of what could have been with my dad's side of the family. Why didn't they reach out before? Why did I have to be the one to fly across the country? Why haven't my other aunties and uncles reached out? There's so much to answer for, and yet I just want them to love me like their own, to accept me. To feel less alone in this web of family identity and to patch up a father-shaped wound that won't quite scab. I didn't know how much this would all affect me. I tend to dissociate myself from my emotions, to make feelings a performance rather than a truth. I even feel distant as I write this all. I know it to be true, but I reject it because the truth is that it's too painful to process and feel on my own. All the people who are supposed to look out for me let me down, and opening myself up to that again terrifies me. I hope they think that I'm a good person. And to be true, I am like David, my dad, in ways, sure. I'm verbose and whip-smart, energetic and scattered, a go-getter, prideful. I like most of those parts of myself. I also have an acid tongue when I'm mad, truly mad. I make promises I don't always keep. I'm fearful and avoidant and crave the validation I can't give myself. I don't always know when to shut up. I've accepted this. 
but I'm tired of this shadow cast over my head. I felt that enough growing up. I don't want it from this side of the family. This trip to Shepparton will be an exercise in believing I am more than the sum of these parts and that I am deserving of the love I receive, irrespective of my flaws, misgivings and reservations. And that I deserve to be able to grieve all my losses without always trying to put a positive spin on it. A lot of what I've been through sucks. It's allowed to. It's okay to feel it and be. Oh, and after reading that back... I feel like I've grown about 10 years in the span of time from this trip at the start of April to now. And a really nice part of it is that looking back on that, the line about how I crave validation that I can't give to myself, I can actually, I can. And feelings aren't always facts. That's definitely how I felt at the time but it isn't anymore, and that's okay. And, most important of all, spoiler alert, I did not get axe murdered. I know. How amazing. (laughs) But it was really touching and really brilliant when I did meet this family of mine and such a profound experience that I... You really do have to live it to understand it, but... It was brilliant. I went to the family home, back with my auntie and uncle. We picked up my cousins along the way. I have a cousin who's 22 and then a cousin who is 26, both boys. And my older cousin's wife came along with us as well. And some things that really opened up this grief process for me were as simple as board game nights with the family. I'd never had a whole nuclear family, nuclear immediate family, to just sit down with and play a massive game of like of board games with. Like something as simple as playing Catan with my family was so strange and so profound to me. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Having dinner at the table together, all of us, and just the amount of food. Oh my God. I am glad to know that both sides of my family are feeders because if someone gives me food, I will love you forever. So my uncle would come out with massive platters of like the most extravagant like eggs, bacon, salad, pickles, hash browns, mushrooms, tomatoes. Without me even asking, it was just so kind and I don't want them I didn't want them to have to feel like that to make up for all this lost time. Part part of me didn't want them to feel like that because at the end of the day, I deep down I understood that there were factors outside of all of us that made this situation the way it was. But their hospitality and their kindness to me when I could have been just as much of, for want of a better word, a fuckwit, like my father, (laughs) it just blew me away. And going to things that were more, more deep and more heavy were when 
my auntie and I sat down together one night over old photo albums that my grandfather kept. And I got to see my grandma and my grandpa in a light that I'd never seen them before. And I found out that I look exactly like my grandma on that side when she was my age. It's, it's actually kind of terrifying to not have any of these photos and only have a very frail um, image of her and then to flip open black and white photos to see your own reflection staring back at you. So we had a chat about family circumstances, myself and my auntie, surrounding why no one reached out to me and I won't go into detail but I remember asking her if it was self-preservation because given what my father had done to not only my family but what I discovered what he had done to his own family was horrendous and part of me was okay to walk away with the fact that it was self-preservation because I, I really couldn't blame them and since then my auntie and I have talked over email and she has said that it wasn't self-preservation it was just the fact that they didn't even know I was born for a little while there and they didn't want to assume they had a right to be in my life when my father had hurt my mother so much but it it it, with these answers just came an outpouring of grief it was like someone had popped a balloon and I'm so thankful for the opportunity and so grateful that I know now but at the time it was a very emotionally transformative and emotionally exhausting experience to have Another form of grief that I felt was having my rose-coloured glasses taken off as to how I pictured my grandparents on my dad's side. I had brief contact with my grandma up until I was 10 when she passed and I, I was the apple of her eye. I used to be her pen pal, I used to call her now and then and at the time I was way too young to explore and discover things and ask the questions I wanted to ask but it turned out that her and my grandfather favorited my my dad quite a lot out of their four children and even though my father did not make good decisions and was not did not really have moral compass but they favorited him and they loved him regardless and as much as I, I can't underestimate a mother's love and I can't begin to attest to that because I'm not a parent myself, but it was something that really boggled me and really boggled me as I held my auntie on the couch as she, as she cried as we, we shared memories and stories and looked at these photos and she recalled tales from her childhood and I just think, how, how can I reconcile those two things of my auntie who has been nothing but kind and beautiful to me and has helped me heal so many, so many, so many jagged edges of myself and then reconcile that with my grandma who, she was my grandma. She took the time out for this little girl who had been left by her son. So I found that really, really difficult territory. 
And I think it's something I'll still always be coming to peace with and that's okay too. I wanted to mention that my way of looking at grief is like looking at a square box and in this box there's a button and there's also a ball. Now when something happens to you or when something causes you grief, at the start this ball in this box with the button is massive. So if you shake that ball around in the box, it's going to keep hitting the button. And every time it hits that button, it's going to cause grief. You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel triggered. You're going to experience these grief responses within your body. And as a result, the thoughts that arise with that. But over time and over talking about things and over processing and over letting yourself feel the sensations that arise, this ball grows smaller and smaller and smaller. And there'll still be times where that box is shaken up and the ball hits the button and you'll have little moments where you're like, ow, this fucking hurts still. But grief isn't linear. Recovery isn't linear. It's up and it's down and you have little moments where you think you're over things and then it'll arise again. And that's so okay. That's how it's meant to be. But for me, going to Melbourne was like taking this box and shaking it like a maraca but it needed to happen and as a result the ball in this box is slowly shrinking for me so yeah it was very very amazing that it wasn't all sad and doom and gloom of like looking over photo albums we as I said we played board games and went out into the garden and stared at the sky because there's less light pollution out in Shepparton and one of my most like one of my biggest memories is staring at the moon it was a beautiful full moon that night and me and my cousins and my auntie and uncle were all cuddling together standing there trying to maintain our warmth and looking at the moon and trying to find the snail shape in the moon and it really is just the littlest thing sometimes that are the most beautiful so yeah I'm, I'm very very grateful to have had that but it, it was rough when I got back life life went on as normal life did not slow down for me the minute I touched back down in sleepy old Perth I had an interview with Triple J Hack like two days after I came back in I got a new job within a week and or two of arriving back I was still studying full-time and finishing my end of semester assessments and along with all of this environmental stuff of the busyness and everything there were still little pockets of grief that I was dealing with outside of my dad's family there was grief over the what I had to go through for so long all this all this love and all this beauty that I was robbed of that I, that I could have had on another note there was also the grief I was feeling for not being treated for my ADHD for so long because my grades and my performance at uni whilst I had a lot on and I was getting a lot of extensions and things when I was work doing the work and performing I was killing it in a way that I haven't in a very long time and I was really proud of that but also really shitty that I could have had it 
so much easier for so long and I didn't. I was also feeling grief over someone that even though I'd only known them for a very short period of time, I was casually dating them for a while and that came to pass and that's okay. That was meant to pass and it was meant to happen, but I was feeling grief over that. I was also feeling grief over all the things I know now and how I couldn't just go back to this state of ignorance is bliss before I met my dad's family. There were so many different facets and forms and that's where I got the idea for this episode because I just think it is so, so vital to acknowledge this and to ensure that if anyone is going through something similar that you're not alone, I hear you. And I also wanted to use this time to explain how I've coped in the last couple of months and how I've worked through a lot of this grief and these things that I've been feeling. And this is going to sound incredibly silly, but it's actually not as well understood as people would believe. Identifying the difference between thoughts and feelings. It's, I know, sounds so stupid. You go, oh, I feel like shit. Saying you feel like shit is actually a thought. The feeling is, the feeling could be, I feel heavy in my chest. I feel tight in my throat. I feel very like exhausted. I feel drained. I feel slow. I feel sluggish. They're the physical sensations in the body and those are our emotions. Our thoughts are our inner dialogue or things that we say to ourselves and our cognition around these feelings. And my therapist, V, is actually a psychotherapist. And psychotherapists analyze how our formative experiences can shape the thoughts which arise from these emotions and sensations through concepts such as attachment theory and so on. And emotions feel different for everyone. Like, as I said before, grief for me is like a tightness in my throat and then a heaviness in my chest. I get like prickling in my eyes. I feel really heavy and slow and thick like molasses every time I try and do things. And the only way that I've been able to push through that is to sit with it. To actually sit and identify the feelings rather than the thoughts and be like, okay, I feel really heavy right now. I feel slow. And to just sit with it and know that it's transient. Because feelings are very transient. In fact, Harvard-trained neuroscientist Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor actually did a study and discovered that most emotions only last about 90 seconds and what keeps us feeling that way are our thoughts and our cognition and our perspective and our self-talk and the dialogues that we feed ourselves because emotions are a chemical process and four out of five of our emotions are actually negative So as you can imagine, this is why self-talk, therapy, talking things out, re-establishing our perspectives, and for me in a way, this trip to Melbourne was and is so important to healing these things and processing these things. Because 
it rewires the way we look at our world. And that, in essence, is what therapy is. It's rewiring years of, you know, weeks, months, years of the way that our brains have worked to cope with things. And sometimes coping strategies aren't always the healthiest. And so it's learning to break out of these patterns. And that does not happen overnight. That happen, that can take fucking years. So please try not to beat yourself up if you keep thinking, fuck, you know, I know things are fleeting. Why am I still feeling this way? That's okay. Habits take time to build. Shit takes time. And two things that have helped me with this processing is... Number one, allowing the suck to suck. (laughs) Things suck. Toxic positivity is the bane of my existence. If something hurts you, it hurts you. No one gets to decide how valid that is or decide how you feel about something. If it hurts, it hurts. Let it hurt. Second of all, gratefulness. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, you just said you hate toxic positivity. Why why are you talking about gratefulness? Gratefulness can coexist. Things can exist in dichotomies, people. Gratefulness is such a powerful tool because it's not saying everything's fine, everything's great. It's saying, you know what? Maybe today wasn't my best day, but I had the best coffee this morning or I saw the cutest little dogs in the park and it made my day or you know what it made that split second a little bit less shit so I find being very grateful for the little moments and especially the people in my life really helped me and is still helping me now with dealing with a lot of the grief that I've been working through And another little fun side note on grief and memory. Our sense of smell and olfactory memory is the strongest of all the senses. Smell is the sense most closely tied to memory. For example, whenever I smell gingerbread Christmas dusk diffuser, I think of one of my best friends and her apartment. Whenever I smell passion fruit vape I think of my other best friend whenever I smell this particular perfume that my ex bought me it's actually not a negative memory it's actually a really positive memory of that time of my life and whilst you know scent can have a bit of an intense feeling around it or can evoke really intense feelings and memories in a negative light I encourage you to use it to hack the good good sides of things, like the good part of your brain, the, the happy part of your brain. Because I, if I smell like that diffuser or whatever, I'm instantly just thought of like the hugs of one of my best friends and it's just like the nicest feeling. And I know music, obviously, you can't smell music. Hey, actually, no, some people with synesthesia can, I think. Don't quote me on that. I digress. Sorry, ADHD brain. But music is a very, very powerful means of memory for me as well. And to end this episode, I wanted to leave you with the name of a song that 
I associate a lot with my dad's side of the family, a lot with my auntie and a lot with my trip over in Melbourne. So I would encourage you to go listen to Goal of the Century by Gang of Youths. And I'd really, really like to thank you for joining me again on She's Mental and for your patience and kindness. And this episode means a lot to me and I feel like I've been vulnerable in a way that I haven't since the very beginning. So I'd really like to thank you all. Stay mental and I'll see you next episode.